You are listening to a message from Victory Alabang. Get the latest updates by visiting victoryalabang.org or like us on facebook.com slash victoryalabang. We are on our week two of our new series called Unwavering. Maybe you're wondering what is unwavering all about. Unwavering is uh, talking about everyday kind of faith. In fact, as we were uh, meeting with the other pastors, somehow our peg verse for this whole series is it's a really a series on the story and the life of Abraham. And how many of you are familiar with Abraham? We're going to go through the journey and the life of Abraham and uh, how he journeyed with God with regards to uh, everyday faith. We're talking about everyday faith that we need, putting our trust in the Lord. And, you know, you're, you're not really talking about the audacious kind of faith, kind of like the Elijah kind of faith, praying down fire from heaven, uh, maybe raising up somebody from the dead. But it's really about journeying and trusting in the Lord in your day-to-day situation. And in Romans chapter 4, verse 19, you don't really have to turn there. I'm just going to read it. It's like the peg for the whole series. The Bible says, Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old. Anybody here who's about 100 years old? But yet, he was acknowledging the fact that he was 100 years old, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, and that Sarah's womb was dead. But yet, in verse 20, it says, He did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. And how many of you believe that God had the power to do every time he promises something to us as a people of God? Amen. And I believe, you know, when you talk about unwavering, Maybe it's not really our faith that is unwavering, but it's really the love of God that is unwavering. It is the Word of God that is unwavering. It is the grace of God that is unwavering. Amen? It is the mercy of God that's unwavering. It's the compassion of God that is unwavering, and so on and so forth. Basically, God will never give up on us. His love for us is unwavering. That's why we can actually respond to Him and actually say, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord, okay? And, uh, you know, we can declare lordship in every situation and say, God, whatever it is that I'm going through right now, you are in charge. The basis of our faith really is hinged on our relationship with God. We don't have faith on faith itself. We have faith on the person, the object of our faith, who is Jesus himself. God himself is the object of our faith, amen? You know, that's why we cannot really compare faith. You know, I have a bigger faith than your faith or you have a bigger faith than my faith. You know, because the reality is no matter how big or small your faith is, all we need to have is just a faith as small as a mustard seed, Jesus said, and you can actually say to the mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea because the reality is it's not about our faith. It's about God working in our faith. So the real reason why we can actually say it's unwavering is because of the character of God. His essence, He never changes. His love for us will never change. And so today we're going to be looking at faith and God's Word. Okay, Faith and God's Word. Faith really involves trust and obedience to the Word of God. And I believe that you are so familiar with that. You know, as a church, as a movement, we value the Word of God. We had several series on the Word of God, with one long series on Wordview. And you may ask, Pastor, we just had a series on the Word of God. Why talk about the Word of God? Guess what? We don't 
get tired of talking about the Word of God. Amen. In fact, we need the Word of God every single day. My prayer is that we will all be people who are so in love with the Word of God that you will never get out of your house without reading the Word of God. Amen. That you will never get to sleep without reading the Word of God every single day because the Word of God is life. The Word is our daily bread. The Bible says man does not live by bread alone but by every what? Rice. No, no, no. By every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. And so I'm praying that that will become a reality in our lives. And when you talk about the Word of God, I hope that also that the Word of God isn't just something that you put on your lap or maybe put in your bag or maybe put in your iPad or iPhone or maybe just put in your office somewhere or a bedside book, but really something that we get to apply every single day. Now when you talk about the Word, it's something that we actually put our trust in and something also that we can actually depend on and apply because the Word of God is the one that gives us life. We're going to be reading from, once again, from the book of Genesis. We'll be doing something different today. We'll be reading from two different versions, okay? So if you have your ESV, open to uh, Genesis chapter 11. We'll just read the, the last two verses of Genesis chapter 11. And then uh, we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 12, reading from the NIV. So if you have your Bibles, Genesis chapter 11, verse 31 to 32. Genesis chapter 11, and then we're going to transition to Genesis chapter 12 uh, using the NIV. I'm reading now from the ESV. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son, Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of what? Of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Everybody say, settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, so let's read now from Genesis chapter 12. This is the next verse, but we're reading from the NIV. The Lord had said to Abraham, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a what? You'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you so abram left as the lord had told him and lot went with him abram was 75 years old when he set out from haran he took his wife sarai sarai is the old name of sarah same person his nephew lot all the possessions that they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Moreh at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. And in verse 7, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for our time this afternoon. I pray that you bless the preaching of your word. Once again, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see what you want to show us, open up our spiritual ears to listen to what your spirit is saying to us as a church and as individuals, open up our heart to gain a spirit of wisdom and revelation to know you better. Thank you, Lord God, that you will help all of us to be like Abraham, 
in, um, Lord, just journeying with you, seeking your face, being called a friend of God, and even hearing your voice and obeying it. Thank you, Lord God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When you look at the life of Abraham, actually Abraham fails the whole Genesis. His life story, one man that became so prominent in, uh, in the book of Genesis and, uh, you know, and elsewhere. You can also find his name in, in the book of Romans and so on and so forth. But yet, when you look at the life of Abraham, before God called him, he was a nobody. You know, he was unknown. For the first 75 years of Abraham, you know, his first 75 years were actually years of obscurity. Of course, he was a pagan because no one was a Christian yet during that time. That was the first time that God called him out to follow him and worship him. Some commentaries and some theologians are saying that Abraham possibly was an idol worshiper before he was called by God. And it was only when God called him out from where he was that he actually somehow converted or put his trust and started to have a relationship with God. And so if you look at the journey of Abraham, Abraham started off, you know, when we would, you know, find out in the scripture that his story started in this part of the Middle East called Ur, okay? This is known as the modern-day Iraq, possibly, old Persia. When Terah, his father, and the whole clan, the family, uh, was traveling, I believe the original intention was for them to go ultimate to Canaan, but when they reached Haran, they actually stopped there. It was almost like a halfway point. Abram was halfway from his promised land. How many of you know that halfway promised land is not really the promised land yet? And sometimes people would actually settle in the halfway promised land instead of going all the way to their promised land. I hope that none of us are like the Haran people. It was D.L. Moody who said, these are called Haran Christians. Sa Tagalog, harang. Naharang sila. Haran Christians. And so there are Christians that are only have, they only have obey. You know, they, they travel as, only as far as, you know, they can because when the rubber meets the road, when things become tough and when it becomes a little bit comfortable and it becomes a little bit convenient, they stay where they are. And I hope that we will not just settle for what is good because the enemy of the good or the best is actually the good. Let's pursue God. Amen. Let's not just settle for what is good right now. Let's not stay in Haran. Let's go all the way to our promised land. Amen. Look at the person beside you. Tell the person, go all the way. Let's go all the way. Let's not just settle in our haran. Let's not be half-hearted in following God. Some Christians are just half-baked Christians or they half-obey or maybe they half-tithe. There's such a thing as half-tithe. I know you half-tithe, 5% or 9. I don't know what that, yeah, that, that means. A tithe is supposed to be a whole tithe, right? Bring, bring the whole tithe into the store. We're not talking about tithing right now. I'm talking about obedience. Or maybe there are people who are saying just half the truth, half truth. Or maybe half-hearted in their devotion with God. God wants us to have a whole heart. Amen. God does not want us to settle just halfway. But it was when the father of Abram died, and his name was what? Terah. Terah died. It was out of affliction 
that Abraham suddenly started hearing the voice of God again and proceeded and obeyed and completed the task of going from Haran to Canaan. How old was Abraham during this time? 75 years old. Can you imagine? God is never too late in blessing anybody. You know, sometimes you can actually throw in the towel and say, ah, tagal ko na you know, I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for the promise of God to be fulfilled. Guess what? Abraham started at 75. Of course, he lived until 175. <laughs> That's a plus there. He had another 100 years. Yet, when you talk about the first 75 years of Abraham, he was nobody. He was not even moving in the promise of God. He was not even in the, you know, in the purposes of God. He was not in the will of God. Only until God called him out, out of settlement or out of comfort zone. Ultimately, God called Abraham to start a new nation called Israel. And it was part of God's redemptive plan that he would actually call out a people for himself, not so that they will be exclusive, but so that they will be a blessing to the nations of the earth. It was in the heart and in the mind of God that he will actually reach out to the peoples of the world. In fact, you know, I, I see our missiologist here, Dr. Junis Kosar. You know, when you talk about missions and we're sending out a mission trip to Armenia, if you ask me where Armenia is, it's actually beside Georgia. It's not in the U.S. It's somewhere near Turkey. We're sending out a mission trip there, but where did we see the starting point of the mission of God for the nation, was it only found in Matthew chapter 28? What is our vision for this church? Two things, right? We want to honor God and make disciples. And normally we say that and we get that from the text, Matthew 28, go and what? Make disciples of all nations. But the reality is when you talk about the mission of God, the mission of God didn't start from Matthew 28. In fact, it didn't even just start from Genesis chapter 12. It actually started all the way in Genesis chapter 1. From the time that God created Adam and Eve, from the time that God created man in his own image and likeness, and he called them to rule over the earth and to be a blessing to mankind and to everybody else. Guess what? The mission of God already started from Genesis chapter 1. However, man fell. We know the story. In Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, of course, he was the one who offered to Adam. But it was Adam's responsibility as the leader of that home. He was the one who was told by God, make sure that you do not eat the one that is located in the middle of the... But he was not able to maybe transcribe or maybe properly explain to Eve. And so they fell. And we see that, that from that time on the fall of man came. But yet God has already in his redemptive plan starting from then. He reshaped the earth. Of course, Genesis 6 came, the flood came until Noah brought in all the different kinds of animals and they repopulated planet Earth again. And then we come to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. However, the Tower of Babel was so ethnocentric, if I may use that term. They were just so full of themselves. In fact, their statement was, let's build a tower that will reach the heavens so that we will have a name for ourselves. God from day one wanted them to disperse and to scatter but yet the people during that time wanted themselves to just be together. Let's be a clique. Let's be a nice country club or something like that. Let's not reach out to the other people out there. And God had to disperse them into all the world. 
And that's where we see the mission of God continuing to follow. And we see now God choosing one particular man from the dispersion, Abram, in order for him to start a nation for himself that ultimately will be a light to the other nations. And all of us actually are children of Abraham, amen, by faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 says, By faith, everybody say, by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And when he went out, not knowing, and he went out not knowing where he was going. You know, it was really kind of unsure for him. You know, when God called him, okay, I want you to leave your country, leave your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. How many of you use ways? Right? How do you use ways? Ways will first ask you where you're going. Right? You will type there the destination point. And it will tell you the quickest route or the best possible route without traffic. It may not be the shortest, but it may be actually the fastest. And we appreciate ways because somehow we have an idea where we're going and how long we'll get there. But yet Abraham, when God told him, leave your country, okay? Leaving my country is one thing, and my family is one thing, but going to another place that I am not even sure of is another thing. And how many of you know that that requires real faith? I mean, he was settled already in Haran. He was prosperous. He was blessed already. And why at 75 will you start something new again? You know, when you talk about leaving something, it means surrendering something. Did you know that? The act of leaving is really what's difficult because it's not really in the act of going. Normally, when we leave something behind, we're kind of attached to that thing. Especially if we've been there for a while, we have developed relationships there, maybe somehow developed some sentimental value to the place or to the job or to the occupation that we're in. Especially if we're going to an uncertain place. It's more than just leaving a house or leaving a community or leaving a place. It's really losing something. And that's the hard part. It's the loss of security that's difficult. You're kind of secure already. You know, they're comfortable. Their security is already in Haran. They probably have good contacts there. They had good business there. The predictability of things, you lose that. You lose the possible stature Moving into a new job, maybe. Of course, if you are taking over the company, that's a different thing. But somehow you lose your influence or your impact. Maybe loss of community is another thing. You've developed friendships here and you move out and you try to develop another thing. You know, one of the challenges of a missionary family that's going out really is the kids just being uprooted from where they are, trying to develop new friendships because... They already had deep, close friendships, especially if they're in their teenage years. Now, of course, if you have younger kids, they don't even care, right? As long as there's McDonald's there or Jollibee. I'm going with you, Dad. <laughs> but the moment that they start developing you know, relationships, it's much harder. There's a loss. But yet, when you talk about leaving something to go to the land of promise, we are called to a life of surrender. And we see that this is true in the life of Abraham that... You know, first and foremost, I believe that God is calling him not just to bless him, 
But before the blessings come, how many of you know that surrender comes first before the blessing? You have to leave something behind before you gain something new. And that's really a good picture of our Christian life. You leave the old things and you gain something new. Remember, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. You leave the old in order for you to gain the new. Leaving is really uncomfortable. In fact, it's a hassle. You know, moving house or moving venue or moving into a new status. Maybe from, you know, a, a single to married. How many of you are hoping to move in that status, right? Masaya yon, right? Hindi lang uncomfortable yon. Exciting yon, right? But, you know, when you, I don't know, maybe when you move into a new career. I remember when Pastor Steve was telling his story of the move from the U.S. to Manila, they intended first to stay here for about a month. And on the third week, God spoke to them that they will stay here for a longer period of time. And after 34 years, they're still here. Of course, they shuttle back and forth because they're heading up our movement. Half the time they're here, half the time they're in Nashville. But yet, the beginning part of moving here was the sacrifice. 1984 was not really a promising time for anybody. It was a time of turmoil for our nation. And they come from a nice, comfortable life in America, left it there, and started writing jeepneys in the Philippines. They experienced that. They, they still know what Love Bus was. For those of you who are younger, you don't know what I'm talking about. There used to be a Love Bus. Not a Love Bug, okay? Love Bus. The blue bus with a heart. But yeah, when you talk about Christianity... Christian life, yes, it's a life of blessings. God promised blessings for us. And how many of you are grateful for the blessings of God in your life? Amen. We're grateful for the blessings. How many of us are grateful for the trials? Anybody? Trials are also a part of Christianity. And if you heard a message that when you become a Christian, there's not going to be any more challenge or trial, you heard a lie. And I'm here to tell you that part of Christianity is going through Many, many, many trials. Jesus himself said, in this world, where are you now? You're not in Mars, right? In this world, you will have trouble. You will have challenges. You will have tribulation. Good thing Jesus did not stop there. Don't worry because I have overcome the world. Have faith in me. We live in a fallen and broken world. You can be cheated. You can be hurt. We can be victims of abuse, victims of false and broken promises. We can be victims of sin of others, or maybe we're the victims, or we're the, we're the ones who actually sin. We enter Christianity, and yet we realize that part of the walk in Christianity is putting our faith in God and growing in it. And in the midst of trials and in the midst of challenges, God uses the same situation in order to bring out the Christ-like character in us. Amen. It takes a lot of fire in order to purify gold. And I believe that God wants each and every one of us to come out like pure gold. The world is full of challenges. Just watch the news. We're all subjected to that. Whether Christian or non-Christian, we're all subjected to those tragedies. Good thing as Christians, we have faith in the Lord. And in verse 1, going back to the verse, the Lord had said to Abram, leave. Everybody say leave. 
leave your country, your people, your father's household, go to the land, I will show you. And so, in verse 4, Abram left. There's almost like an inter, you know, immediate action. Of course, you don't know how long you know, this transpired, whether so Abram left, whether it's like tomorrow, next week, you know, after a month, after a year, we don't know. He didn't say there. But yet, we know that Abram obeyed God. The pagan Abraham, the one who did not know God from the very beginning, started obeying and started having a relationship with God. He was delayed for a while. He got stuck in Haran. But from this time on, he went forward. First up, we need to surrender our comfort. When you talk about trusting and obeying the Word of God, how many of you know that part of that is surrendering something? You know, we live in a very comfortable world right now. Very comfortable generation. If you want something, you just open your app. If you want grocery, I think there's a grocery app now that you actually dial in without even standing from your bed. You order, you know, whatever, rice, you order meat, you order, you know, whatever. And then you click yes, and it's delivered right there at your doorsteps. If you're hungry, you just press a button, and that's it. It's delivered. It's so comfortable, right? You don't even have to leave the house. You don't even have to get out of bed. We live in a very comfortable generation now. How many of you know this generation is blessed? You know, back in the day when I was a young boy, when I would actually buy music, I would actually go to a music store in the mall and look for those tape, MP3, tape or record or CD eventually. But I still had to go out. But nowadays, can you imagine from your own gadget or device? You can subscribe, whether monthly or you can actually buy music there. And all you got to do is by clicking purchase or buy, confirm, yes, that's it. You have it. It's downloaded already and you can start listening to music. Watching movies. You know, of course, I like watching movies with the family. From time to time, you go out. But you know what? Movies now are so available inside the confines. of Everything is comfortable. It's as if everything has been set up for us to just stay in Haran. But then I believe that if we are to be committed Christians, Christians that are growing in their faith, we need to surrender our comfort zone. Amen. Second thing is we need to surrender our will. You got to trust God even if we don't understand it. How many of you have received something from the Lord? God tells you to do something and it doesn't make sense. Lord, bakit? You know, God wants you to move into a new job or maybe God wants you to do that transaction and it doesn't make sense. I'm, not, I'm actually there to lose more than gain, you know. But it's not about us sometimes. Or maybe God tells you, okay, hire this person. What do I gain from that? You know, many times we make decisions based on the things that we will actually gain or the value that we will actually gain from that decision that we will actually make. But is it possible for us to make a decision and obey God even if it's seemingly of a lesser value? that we can actually gain with the transaction, knowing that it is God's will for us to do that thing. Sometimes you don't understand. God wants us to just trust Him. We want to be in control of things many times, right? It's my will. What I want should be done. My will be done. Something like that. It's actually it's my way or Yahweh. Something like that. We want our way all the time. In the control of family. We want to be in control of our finances. 
We want to be in control of our health. We want to be in control of everything. And I realize that my will is not always right, that our will is limited, our foresight is limited. But if we learn to surrender our will to the Father and start really putting our trust in the Lord and say, Lord, not my will, but your will. The same prayer that Jesus prayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. Not my will, but your will be done in my life. Trust is actually a difficult word to process. You know, trust is a vital human emotion to stabilize our relationship. In fact, families are broken not because of the lack of love, but because of the lack of trust. We've got to learn how to trust God in all things. You know, from time to time, I would actually ride my car, and I'm not the driver. And it's Bea who's driving. And I love riding with Bea because it's like riding the roller coaster. No, no, just kidding. Sometimes I find myself, because we have a different style of driving, I'm more on the defensive driving. She is more on the other side of driving. No, she's not really an offensive driver, okay? But she's just confident, <laughs> if I may use the word. And sometimes I would actually tell her, you know, you know, I'm actually on the passengers. But I realized I'm not in charge. I'm not the driver. All I've got to do there is just sit back, relax, and pray. You know, it's ah. And many times, you know, in our ride with God, God is the driver, and you feel like you want to put a stop in God's vehicle. And say, Lord, masyado ka mabilis. Lord, masyado ka mabagal. Lord, kaliwa. You know, it's, it's sometimes you want to control God. How many of you know you can never control God because He is Lord? Ultimately, He's in charge. You've got to surrender our will to Him in part of you know, just looking at the promise of God and looking at Scripture is putting our faith and trust in that Word and learning to just surrender and obey. Surrender ultimately means trust and obey. That's what the Word of God is. We put our trust in a higher being. We put our trust in somebody who knows better than us. We put our trust knowing that God is for us and God is never against us. And once we realize that God wants your welfare, your, you know, your future is secure in Him. You can actually just say, God, yes, whatever it is. Even if it's unsure, even if it's illogical, even if it doesn't make sense, I'll just obey. Ultimately, it's about having a covenantal relationship with Him. You see, you can't really trust someone unless you have a good relationship with that person. Every business transaction is built on trust. The reason why you're engaging in a business activity is because you trust that supplier, you trust somebody who ordered that he will pay up or something, so on and so forth. But that's really a superficial form of trust. The deepest form of trust really is a covenant relationship kind of a trust, which is marriage between husband and wife. That's not a contract. It's a covenant. You learn to trust one another till death do us part, right? And that somehow is the picture of our trust in God. In fact, Paul used the analogy of you know, a marriage in Ephesians chapter 5 that you know, as husbands love your wife, you know, as Christ loved the church, it always points back. You know, as we relate to our spouse, that's the way Christ relates to the bride, which is the church. Somehow that's the picture. Obeying and trusting God is also about surrendering our rights. We need to obey God regardless of what we feel and what we see. The reality is, as Christians, we live by faith and not by sight. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what you see in the natural. Sometimes you don't see it yet. But yet when God promises something, we know it's there. 
and God had the creative capability to make things happen, even if that thing is not there yet. Surrender our rights. We obey God even when it does not make sense. The right to choose, Lord? Okay, it may be difficult, but I'm going to obey. Going back to verse 4, so Abraham left. Notable response of Abraham is, it was immediate. God said, leave your country. Abraham left. In contrast to Jonah, who said, go to Spain or go to Nineveh, he went the other way. Which one are we? When God tells us to go in that direction, do we go in the same direction or do we go in the opposite direction? And you know, sometimes when God tells us to do something, we kind of over-spiritualize things. I'll pray about it. Sometimes we use prayer as an excuse to obedience. We kind of delay obedience because, you know, we know what's supposed to be done. When God says, forgive, I'll pray about it, Lord. Eh, kung hindi kita forgive How many of you know that you don't pray anymore about forgiveness? You don't pray anymore about loving a brother or a sister. You don't pray anymore about generosity because these are things in the Bible that you actually find and these are Christian virtues. You don't pray anymore about unity. The Bible says, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, to make every effort to keep the unity in the faith, to keep it in the bond of peace. If God's will is unity, hello? He said it already in His Word. We give up our rights to think, and we just say, yes, Lord. You know, one of the things that you see in the life of Abraham, and you know, we're going to pick it up in the following weeks, is altars. He actually set up an altar. Verse 7, we've read that. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. First time, we see that Abraham is actually setting up an altar to God. There was no altar in Ur. There was no altar in Haran. In fact, there was not even an altar in Egypt. If you go to verse 10, the Bible says, There was a famine in the land. Abraham went to Egypt for a while, and that's where he met Pharaoh. And that's when he said to Sarai, tell them I am your brother and you're my sister. Ah, sister, huh? So that's the reason probably why they didn't have kids okay, for a while. But you know, he compromised there in Egypt and eventually he found himself back in Canaan. But yet when you talk about the altar of God, altar is always about sacrifice. Altar is all about surrender. Now I believe that God called Abraham to have a life of sacrifice and a life of surrender in order to enjoy the blessings of God in his life. In fact, it was D.L. Moody that said Abraham was actually a man with four surrenders. We're going to just journey through this in the next few weeks. First surrender that he had was Genesis chapter 12, surrendering his country, surrendering his household, his family background. Second surrender that he had was, his, was his, he surrendered his rights. When it was Genesis chapter 13, it was Lot. You know, when, when Lot's men and his men were fighting already because their possession is actually just filling out the land, a particular land. He said to, to Lot, okay, let's not fight. I want you to choose. He gave the first option to Lot. And Lot used his eyes to choose. And he chose near Sodom and Gomorrah. But Abraham let God choose for him. And God chose for him the land of Canaan. He surrendered his rights. He surrendered an opportunity to get rich. The king of Sodom offered him, after him rescuing Lot, he offered him money. You know, we 
heard from Melchizedek a while ago, right after he gave a tenth to Melchizedek, the king of Salem went out and was offering him finances and he said, no, I will not take anything. I will rather put my trust in the Lord who will actually be the one to bless me and enrich me. And the last sacrifice we will find out in the last week was the sacrifice of his firstborn son, Isaac, Genesis chapter 22. But when you talk about surrendering, what is it that we are really surrendering? Is it really worth surrendering to God based on His promises for us? And if you will just find out from what He promised Abraham, He promised that He will be a great nation, and that's the blessing of identity. He said to Abraham, I will bless you, and that's prosperity. He said to Abraham, I will make your name great, and that's prominence. He said to Abraham, you will be a blessing, and that's influence. He said to Abraham, bless those who bless you, and that's favor. He said to Abraham, whoever curses you, I will curse, and that's protection. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, and that's generosity. To your offspring, it talks about posterity. And he said, I will give this land, and that talks about property. Now, who is in the losing proposition here? What is Abraham really surrendering to God? I believe there is more to gain than lose whenever we have a covenant in a relationship with God. Amen. Ultimately, we put our trust in the Lord and we act out and we surrender. In fact, the world is yet to see what God will do to a man who is perfectly surrendered to Him. I believe God is calling every one of us to surrender our life to Him afresh. Really, that's the essence of what it is for us to hear the Word and to obey the Word of God is that we will live a life of surrender to Him. You know why we can do that? Because there was a man who first loved us and surrendered his life so that you and I can live. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. He gave the very best for us. He did not withhold anything from us. He gave His life so that you and I can live. He basically surrendered His will, His rights, His comfort zone. And He went down to earth in order to rescue and redeem a people who are called for His name and to give us the blessings of Abraham and much, much more. And I believe our response ought to be in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. I believe every single day we can come to Him and say, God, I'm setting an altar right here before you every single day. And I'm going to surrender my life to you fresh. I'm going to surrender to you my mind I'm going to surrender to you my heart. I'm going to surrender to you my will, my emotions, my hurts, my offenses, my problems, my trials, my future, my past, my, my brokenness, my sin. I surrender everything to God. And I believe that as we set that altar before Him every single day, God will meet us where we are. I believe that God wants us all as a church, as a congregation to surrender our lives afresh. areas in our lives that needing surrender every single day. 
selfishness, self-centeredness, pride, maybe lusts of the eyes, lust of the flesh, problems maybe, unforgiveness, offenses. Lord, we just lift up our hands to you as an act of surrender. Just like Abraham, who was known as the man of surrenders. We come before you today, God, and put upon your altar, the altar of sacrifice, whatever it is that hinders our walk with you. We lay it aside, we lay it down, God. Help us also to have a daily attitude of surrendering to you, Lord. Knowing full well that as we surrender our rights, as we surrender our will to you, as we surrender our comfort, we know full well that you will take us and you will bring us into the greatest adventure that we can ever have. We thank you for your love for us that is unwavering. We thank you for your grace that is unwavering. We thank you, Lord God, for the peace of God is always there. Thank you, Lord, even for those of us who are going through situations and hardships or difficulties, Lord. Father, I pray that you comfort them even right now, knowing full well that whatever situation they're in, that is temporary, Lord. Because you are, you are one who called, who called to, to redeem us, to protect us, to give us a new life, a new hope, God. Thank you, Lord God, that you will continue to bless your people as we leave this place. Thank you, Lord, that your blessing overflows. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord turn his face toward you and grant you peace. May the love of our Heavenly Father and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us always. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody say, Amen.